This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast, episode number 102. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 102. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life Podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. I hope you are well. And we have kind of a different episode today. I have sort of combined solo slash interview slash Q&A into one episode. This is going to be longer than my typical episodes and it just is. Sorry, (laughs) I didn't mean for it to be so long. It just ended up being that way. But as some of you know, I offer Q&A episodes where you can write in with your specific questions about your life and we might just answer them on a podcast episode. So I'm going to get to the listener's question in just a minute And first, I have a couple of announcements. The first one is that I'm excited about a letter I'm sending out to the mailing list on Monday. It's a juicy story that I have never told before publicly. That's coming out on Monday. So if you are not a subscriber, you might be a podcast listener, but you just wait for the notifications from the podcast You can easily sign up by texting the word kick-ass, make it all one word, K-I-C-K-A-S-S, to the number 444-999, and you can get that email coming out on Monday. And the other thing I wanted to tell you about is a class that I'm teaching that's coming up. Registration doesn't officially open until Friday the 10th, but since you're all pod listeners, you can actually sign up early if you want. So it's at 30dayexperience.com. And this is a class I have taught before. I have switched up the curriculum a little bit, just making it a little bit better. And what it is, it is 30 days of, well, what else? Learning to live your kick-ass life. And this class is perfect for anyone who has negative self-talk. I mean, who doesn't? You hear that shit talking in your head. You compare yourself to other women. You can't remember the last time you cut yourself a break. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're feeling a little bit disconnected, disconnected from yourself. Like self-trust isn't even on your radar. Maybe you're feeling a little bit disconnected in your relationships. You don't know why. And maybe you feel that you aren't measuring up in different areas of your life at work, as a parent, as a partner, maybe just as a woman. And if that's you, then I really encourage you to head on over to 30dayexperience.com and and check out the class. This is my most affordable class that I offer a year to be able to get access to me where we have a private Facebook group and it's a small intimate group. If you've ever done my seven day challenge, which is a free thing that I do, that's a very large group with hundreds of people. This is a smaller, more intimate group. And I answer your questions in there. We will have live chats. We'll do, I'll probably do live video. I'm sure that I will. And really what we're going to work on, what you'll walk away with is tried and tested tools on self-kindness and self-compassion that is foundational in your ability to feel better and be happier and have better relationships. We are going to work on self-forgiveness because I have found that to be a huge topic with women. We tend to carry around stuff that we did and 
beat ourselves up for it and kind of punish ourselves for years and years and years, decades sometimes. We're also going to talk about self-acceptance and self-expression because you hiding out in this world is not helping anyone. And we are also going to talk about something that I've actually never taught before in a class yet. I taught it in a workshop when we did our live retreat in Mexico recently, but we are going to talk about really getting to the bottom of your inner critic's story because it's one thing to have tools on changing that self-talk, which I feel like is really important. But if you take it a step further and really look at what's underneath it, that can move mountains. So that's what we're going to do in that class in the 30 days. You get a new lesson every week. There are four of them. I just mentioned what those are about. There are going to be eight challenges that are optional, but I think important. And you have access to the materials forever. So go check it out. It's at 30, it's the numbers 30, 30, 30 There's some special bonuses in there too for you to look at. And let's get on with the topic. So today's question comes from a listener named Nikki. And Nikki asked the following. She said, I would really like for Andrea to talk about life after divorce on the podcast. I know it is a really heavy topic, but Andrea is literally a picture to me of where I want to end up. I love that she is able to laugh with such joy. And I love that she managed to build a family and a beautiful business afterwards. So I think if she could help us dip our toes into what one should do at the different stages post-divorce in terms of your self-talk and ownership, etc. Also a related topic, forgiveness, forgiveness, what it means and what it doesn't mean. So thank you, Nikki, for sending that in. And I really hope I can help you out with this. Here's the thing about divorce that I obviously have my own story around it. It's part of who I am. It's part of who it's part of what's made me who I am today, part of my story. And the thing is that I know a lot of you listening have faced is either a divorce or a major breakup where there are kids involved. And that was not the case with me. So I didn't feel like I was, I think probably the reason I haven't gone into this in depth on the podcast is because I am not an authority on how to deal with the emotions and the logistics and the long-term healing when there are children involved, because that's more common. I think, I don't know what the statistics are. I'm just making that up, but it's more common to have children post-divorce than not. And I think it's a very different experience. So what I have done is I am bringing my friend and colleague, Kate Anthony on later in the show, where I ask her a few questions based on Nikki's question, because she had that experience. She was married and had a child and is divorced and they are co-parenting. You'll hear that later on in the show. So I guess I'll start from the beginning. And I just think I want to start by saying divorces and breakups look different for everyone. Although I think for everyone, there is pain involved. Some breakups and divorces are a long time coming and some are sudden. And I feel like mine was both. And I think now I have come to the conclusion that sometimes we're never fully over it or never fully healed. I'm like using air quotes over here that you can't see. But when we can start to accept that is really the place of when we can start to feel better and start to forgive, start to trust again and move on. At least that is how it's been in my experience. And I feel personally that I have scar tissue, you know, for the sake of Saudi cheesy, you have scar tissue on my heart. And I have come to the conclusion that I feel like I'm about 90% healed. 
from my divorce. And that feels like a lot. And quite honestly, that feels like enough because for a while I thought getting remarried would heal me and it didn't. Moving out of the city that I used to live in, that I lived in for 36 years, didn't heal me. Having children with someone else didn't heal me. Having a successful business didn't heal me. Time didn't heal me, which is what so many people tell us, right? What healed me is surrendering to the process of grief, surrendering to the process of loss, of longing, of nostalgia, of disappointment, and accepting the fact that the dream I had was dead and honoring that, honoring that dream that I had and honoring and accepting the fact that it was no longer. So I've jumped ahead a little bit. And for those of you that don't know, I will tell you, try to be as brief as I can and tell you the story. So I met my ex-husband when I was 17. I had just started my senior year of high school. He had just graduated from a rival high school. And we met in September of 1992. Seems like 150 years ago. It was the early 90s. It was a fun time. And we dated for about 10 years, I think, before we got married. Was it? I think it was about 10 and a half years when we finally got married. And I had wanted to get married long before that. And he was he was rebellious and he was in his twenties. I mean, looking back, I don't blame him. He was having fun with his friends and he didn't, he wasn't ready to settle down until he was ready. And quite honestly, I think when he did, we had kind of broken up and I had given him so many ultimatums. I think he just wasn't ready to lose me. He also wasn't ready to get married. <laughs> so I guess he picked the least painful path for him and we got married in 2003. And we were, you'll hear my friend Kate talk about her husband. And she says, you know, we brought out the worst in each other. That wasn't the experience of my relationship. We didn't bring out the worst in each other, but we were so young when we met, neither of us had the tools to have a mature relationship and we didn't grow together. I think we sort of got stuck in our teenager time and I was trying to better myself and trying to grow up and he wasn't coming along with me. And our couples therapist said, she said, it's like you're trying to drag him along and you're growing at two very different speeds. And I love that she was very honest with us. And I chose to marry him anyway. And at one point she also said to me, this was right before we got married, because he would, he would stay out like all night. He'd go out with his friends and stay out all night, would tell me he would be home by, you know, one or two. And he'd come rolling in the next morning. This happened all the time. <laughs> All the time. There were so many times I didn't know where he was. I heard rumors that he was cheating on me. He denied it. This was all through our 20s. Looking back, he was. And I was no angel to him either. It was a mutually destructive relationship. And we love hard and we fought hard. And it was very intense is what it was. And looking back, I was very much addicted to that. I was very much addicted to him. I was addicted to the intensity and the drama and the chaos. And I was addicted to the idea and the dream of fixing him and fixing us, it became my life's obsession. I don't even want to use the word goal because it was my obsession to fix him. And then I would fix us. And I tried and tried and tried for years and years and years. And it was exhausting. I sacrificed who I was doing that. I hated the person that I had become. I was micromanaging. I was controlling. I was bitchy. I was angry. And it was all his fault. 
when really it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. But of course, I didn't see that until I was out of the relationship. So two years into our marriage in 2005, we were actually, we had hit a good point in in our marriage. We had hit a groove. We were saving up to buy a house. And I believe that we were kind of on the upswing and getting better. We were both in our very early 30s at that point. I had just turned 30 and we were talking about conceiving our first child. We both knew it was a dream of ours to have children together. And I had all planned out, you know, my controlling self. I had bullet points under each season, like quarter of the year is ridiculous. I can't believe I I did that. So I knew when we were going to conceive and we were going to conceive in the, like the fall of, of, it must've been 2005. And in July of that year, he started having an affair with our neighbor and I didn't really suspect anything for the first couple of months. And then I did. And to make a long story short, it was months of suspicion and confronting him and asking him and crying and fighting and denying, denying, denying him telling me that I was crazy and that I needed to stop being a detective and trying, you know, and that I was just mean and for doing that. And he would never do that to me. And basically he was living a double life because he had also lied to his girlfriend and told her that I think that he told her that he had, that's right. He told her that he had filed for divorce and that I was just not accepting it, which later she found out that wasn't true because there were no papers filed. And so the holidays came and went, and that was a disaster that included, you know, me traveling alone and then coming back and a screaming fight at his work. And I said, I can't do this anymore. I, I, we need to at least separate because I feel like I'm going crazy because it seems like you're having an affair, but you're telling me you're not. So I'm going nuts. So I did, I moved out. I got a cute little apartment by the beach and things were kind of good for a while. We were still seeing each other and it felt like the pressure was off. And I was really under the impression that we were going to be okay, that this was a good thing for us. And then on Valentine's day, I called his cell phone to see, cause he had told me he was going to come over to have dinner with me on Valentine's day. I called his cell phone to see when he was going to come over. So this was the day before Valentine's day in 06. And she answered, she answered his phone. And that was the end. That was when I knew, obviously. And then I spoke with her and shit hit the fan. <laughs> I just say shit hit the fan for all three of us. And we got divorced. He then filed. He had to. And she got pregnant within a couple of weeks after that, I think. And they had a baby. And... I was devastated. I think I was for a while, I was more devastated that they went and had a baby than I was to actually lose him. Cause I had this dream that we were going to do that together. And you know, they had a house and they had a dog and it, it was as if I had literally been replaced. Like someone had erased my life, erased me and put someone else there. And like, there she was like living the life that I had planned on having for 13 years, the 13 years we had been together, we had been talking about and planning and dreaming that that was going to be our life. And that was somebody else. It was like, you know, like, like an actor in a play. It's like, there's somebody else doing my life. It was so strange. And I was also very, I think this is worth mentioning as part of the story. I was also very close to his family. We had several siblings and it was just a large loving family. And they had been my family for over a decade my parents got divorced right when I graduated high school and his parents basically took me in as one of their own. And I had never 
had experience with a family like that. I mean, my, my family was very loving, but we were very small. I had half siblings that were much older and I was basically an only child. And like, here I was in this large family that was just amazing. And I loved them. Like they were my own family. And I was suddenly kind of like thrust out the door and the door slammed in my face. And it was very awkward and painful for them too, because there they were kind of like not given a choice about whether I was going to stay or go. So divorce affects a lot of people. I was astounded at the ripple effect. And from what I understand, it caused a lot of problems in the family for a long time. I had to grapple with the loss of my marriage. I had to grapple with the fact that I might never have children. I was 31 at the time and went through that whole thing of, oh my God, like that dream is dead. What am I, what am I going to do? And I had to grapple with the fact of losing his family, which is actually something I didn't even really grieve until years and years later. Cause I felt like, I think I just didn't realize it was such a big deal than it was until much later. So that's the story. And that ended up being longer than I thought it was going to be. And the year after that, I call it like the year of the coma. I felt like I walked around just completely in a daze. Just, I didn't know what to, I didn't know which way was up. I really, really didn't. I had isolated myself from most of my friends. I think most of my friends didn't know what to say or do. And I didn't either. And so it just sort of, they kind of organically went away. Probably me pushing them away too. I didn't really deal with it much that whole year. And officially, you know, I think in the very beginning, I was on the right path as far as going to therapy and like reading self-help books. But then I started dating, which was probably the worst thing I could have done for myself. It was a huge mistake. It was a huge mistake. So given the fact that I was also a love addict, it was my numbing mechanism. And I can honestly tell you, I really didn't start to process and heal everything until around 2008, which was after the birth of my first child and after I was already married. I wanted to mention that because I think that that's probably common. I think that for many people, it's just like such a shock and they're just like kind of walking around in a daze and don't know what to do and then starts. I had to be really intentional about it too, because I had become a master at like just shoving it all down and just, you know, and I was distracted. You know, I met this new great guy and I had a baby and, you know, and my life was, I was moving on, you know, like capital M, capital O, I was moving on. And that was how I was going to heal. And like I said, at the top of the episode, it didn't work. And I thought that it would, and it didn't. So I had to do other things to actually heal, which I'll get to in a minute. But I think that what I do now, as opposed to what I didn't do before, is that I honor feelings when they come up. So again, this was about looking and getting really curious around the feelings of grief, around the feelings of loss. Me starting to grieve the fact that I had lost his family was huge. And Brene Brown talks about this in Rising Strong. And it's part of the curriculum that I do with clients is looking at longing And she says, sometimes we don't know that we long for something until it's gone. And that when she said that, I was just like, holy shit, that's how I felt about his family. It was a community. I felt like I was part of something that I had never been part of before. And I didn't realize how much it meant to me and how much I loved them and how much I loved and felt safe with them until 
the rug got pulled out from under me and they were gone in an instant. And it wasn't, that part wasn't a long time coming. That was like, see ya. I had a phone call. So one of my ex's brothers was engaged during the time that we split. I mean, I had known his brother since he was 13 and I had known his fiance since they started dating years and years. And she and I were close and she called me, you know, in the midst of all this, like it was within a couple of weeks of us splitting and she called and she was crying and she said, I have to uninvite you to our engagement party. I plan on going. I was like, of course I'm going. <laughs> I don't give a shit if you're going to be there, you know? And I was just, it was devastated. I was devastated that like it, the reality of it sunk in like, oh, I am not welcome here anymore. You are all not my family anymore. And I'll never forget that phone call. And she was crying and I was crying and, and we were angry. And it's just, it's just how it happened. It's just a fact of what was happening. So that sucked. That was painful. And it's still even hard to talk about. And even recently they had a baby and I'm friends with her on Facebook and they had a baby recently, their first baby. And I see him pop up in my newsfeed and I'm like, God damn it. You know, I should be there. I should have been there when he was born. And it's like, there's part of my brain that still thinks that like, wait a minute, like, why am I not there with them? Like congratulating them and holding that baby and, you know, buying her presents and, and all the things. It's so weird that my brain still is attached to that. And so, which kind of brings me to talk to you about EMDR, which is, I think something I've mentioned a few times on the podcast and EMDR is something that I have gone and, and done because what I now have accepted is that what I went through was trauma. And I had a really hard time accepting that. My therapist told me that in the beginning, right when it happened, she told me that not only do I have trauma, but I had PTSD around it. And I was like, no, no, because I felt like my story wasn't bad enough. PTSD and trauma is for people that have survived horrific things like rape or violence or wars or, you know, seeing things as children that children should never have to see. And that was not the case with me. I felt like I was a grown ass woman who got dumped. Like that was it. And I should be able to just like figure it out on my own. No, don't say the word trauma. That is not, I don't, don't categorize me as that. And slowly I kind of had to break down and be like, all right, maybe because my brain doesn't really understand <laughs> that we need to kind of move on. So I, I found a therapist in my area who does EMDR and it has helped tremendously. So if you are someone who might want to look into it to find, find a trained person, please, that, that is certified in that work, it's emdria.org to find someone in your area. And you can, I won't go into too much, like what it actually entails, but it's, I have found it to be extremely helpful for trauma and just working through it and just not being so upset about it anymore. Really. It's again, like getting back to just accepting the feelings as they come, even if it's been several years down the road, every once in a while, he shows up in my dreams and it's very strange and it's different scenarios, but a lot of times I dream about like his parents' house where we spent a lot of time. And what's upsetting in my dreams is that I can remember exactly how things were in that house and exactly how everyone looked. But if I'm awake, I can't tell you. I, it's very much starting to fade and I don't remember as much. I don't remember mannerisms and I don't remember, you know, different tones of voice and things like that. But in my dreams, it's still there. And I wake up feeling like, 
like defeated and like beat up and pissed off. And I'm like, God damn it. Why are you still here? So I think now what I do, and this has just been in the last couple of years is like, I have the dream and I'm like, oh, well, you know, that happened. It, that was kind of sucky, but whatever. And I just, it's so much easier for me to move on from my day instead of making it mean something. And that's what you'll hear myself and Kate talk about in a little while is that I have stopped making my feelings about it mean something because for a long time, especially in the beginning of my marriage, I thought like, if I'm still grieving what happened to me, then that must mean that I don't love my husband enough. That just means that I'm not committed enough. And I probably need to just like throw myself more into motherhood. I was making up all these things and how I wasn't good enough in my present life because clearly I would not, it was like a flip or a switch. I wanted to flip. I always want to say flip. I want to switch, but I felt like there was something I wasn't doing. And really what it came down to was that what I wasn't doing is just surrendering and accepting feelings and like letting them come. And there's that saying, the only way out is through. And that's what I wasn't doing. And so before I go on for another six hours about this, I wanted to answer Nikki's question about forgiveness. And for me, forgiveness has come in layers and I have to revisit it. And it's become less and less over time. So I feel like I'm kind of to the point now where I have like fully forgiven him. And I think that what has helped me a lot and Brene talks about this also in Rising Strong is just being generous with compassion for him. And what he did sucked. And there are so many different ways that he could have gone about that, that would have been less painful for me and more in integrity. But he, he chose not to do that. I truly, truly believe he did the best he could with what he had. I do. I, I don't think he was trying to be malicious and hurt me on purpose. I think he just, it got away from him and he did the best he could. He didn't have a lot of tools at the time and that's it. And it was a lot easier for me to forgive him. And every once in a while it still stings, but it's a lot less than it used to be. And I really attribute that to, like I was saying just a few minutes ago, feeling whatever feelings come up and not judging them and just, you know, not making it mean anything and working on forgiving him. And it does not at all condone the behavior. It doesn't make it okay what he did. It just means that I love myself enough to know that what he did didn't mean anything about me and that I can't go back and change time. Like it just is what it is. You know, and I could also say like, well, there were such huge lessons to learn and that's, that's true and that's good. But I, I think that for someone who's kind of raw in it, doesn't want to hear that. Like, I want to punch you in the face. <laughs> if you're going to tell me like, look at the silver lining. What did you, what was the gift in all of this? No, much later. And I'm grateful for what happened, but it took me a long time to get to a place where I was grateful for what had happened. But I think that's it. I think that, I think forgiveness is so complex and, and it really, really relies on the fact that you have to, and Brene says this, like you have to let something die. And for me, it was, I had to let go of the dream that I had, the dream that for a long time, for almost a decade and a half, I had that this is how my life was going to be. And it ended up looking different. I think for some people, it might be one day at a time. It was for me for a long time. And I think time helps a little bit, but you have to be proactive in your healing and that's what I've done. I think that's what's helped me tremendously. 
There are a couple of books out there that I think are really helpful. I will link to them in the show notes. And I think that's all I got for you. So I hope that helped. And I am going to introduce you to Kate here. So anyway, Ask Kickers, thanks for listening. And here is Kate. Kate Anthony is here. Hi, Kate. Hi, Andrea. How are you? I am fantastic. I am excited to be here. Good. Talking about one of my favorite topics. Your favorite? (laughs) You have so many favorite topics. You're like me. Like, I'm like, it's my favorite topic every single time. (laughs) I totally am. I could talk about that for eight hours. Or I could talk about that for eight hours, too. (laughs) You could talk about corn for eight hours. (laughs) But I'm really glad you're here. And I was thinking about this question that, that our listener, Nikki, wrote in about. And I thought... Okay, I got to get somebody else to talk about this. And and as I mentioned before, I don't think I'm an authority on divorce when there are children involved. The first person I thought about to have on is you because you have experience here. So tell us if you could like briefly just share with the listeners your story and just really kind of what went on then and like what's going on now. Yeah. Oh, uh, where to begin? I'll begin at the beginning. At the beginning. Um, <laughs> it's like, how long were you married? And, and yeah. Like that. So my ex and I were together for 10 years. We were married for five and we had a very, very volatile marriage, a volatile relationship for 10 years. And when we had our son, it was the race to like keep the marriage together for our child mm-hmm. was on. And what ultimately ended up happening was when my son was three and a half, I started to recognize what I was modeling to my child by keeping this very unhealthy marriage alive and that I was fighting for something, A, that didn't exist and B, I was modeling a relationship and a form of womanhood that I did not want my son to repeat. There were patterns I didn't want him to repeat. And if I stayed in the marriage, this was like my son was going to end up being the kind of man who treats women the way that my ex treated me. Mm-hmm. And that I was going to teach him to choose women who were like me. And what was so interesting was that I thought on the inside, I thought I was this like powerful, awesome, like together, really sort of like powerful woman. Mm-hmm. But what I was displaying and who I was really being in the world was everything in opposition to that. And the day that I realized that was the day I decided to end my marriage. And what I realized was that my husband could be a better man with someone else. I could be a better woman with someone else or without him, Mm. right? I just knew our relationship and our union, our togetherness was toxic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how old is your son now? So now he's going to be 11 in July. So he's almost 11, mm-hmm. which almost blows 11. my mind, blows my mind. <laughs> I know. And my ex is remarried to someone who is so much better suited <laughs> to him and to whom he is better suited. They have an amazing relationship. It, when I see them together, I think, oh, yes, that, that's what I want our kids to grow up with. To see. So how yeah. long has your ex been married to his new wife? Gosh, what is it? Two years? They've been married for and, two years? And they have a child together, right? No, they have. <laughs> our family is really complicated. So we have our son and then she has a son who's a little bit younger than my son. Our son's actually went 
went to preschool together. Oh, okay. So, so yep. Emmett, your son, has a stepbrother. Has a stepbrother. And then in between me and marrying his current wife, my ex had a brief relationship with a woman and has a son from that relationship. And my ex actually has full custody of that child. Mm-hmm. So he and his wife now raise that boy as, as their own. So he's not biologically hers, but he's hers. Okay. So yeah. backing up to when you realized that your marriage was over and, you know, regardless of the details of who filed for the divorce and all mm-hmm. of that stuff, yeah. what specifically do you remember doing in the beginning or if you did anything at all? to heal from the heartbreak of your marriage ending. Here's what's really interesting. So what I did was I got into intensive therapy, one-on-one therapy. I think that it was, I was in therapy and about probably six months in was when I finally just realized that I needed to leave my husband. So I feel like that was part of the process. The unfolding process of getting to know myself was a slow and steady process. And as I began to sort of develop what I consider my sort of adult brain, right? My consciousness, Mm -hmm. because I had been living most of my life in an unconscious reactive state to everything around me. And as I do, Mm -hmm. exactly. Right. And as I developed my sort of higher consciousness and my conscious brain and started to make adult decisions, that was the beginning stage of me being sort of more objectively able to view myself and my situation and be conscious in the choices that I made. And one of the biggest choices that I made was leaving my marriage, but it wasn't the only one. So I continued to do that work. So I did. I continued to do that work. I started, I went back to the gym. I started taking care of myself. I started to recognize myself. As an individual, I had spent so long in my marriage viewing myself only as what my husband thought I was or said I was, mm-hmm. none of which was really true to who I was organically and innately. And so it was a real process of self-discovery, really. Who yeah. am I? I mean, when I got out of my marriage, I couldn't have told you my favorite color. I couldn't have told you. We used to go to restaurants and I would sort of stand behind him while he looked at the menu to choose whether we would eat at that restaurant. And it wasn't because he was controlling and he was going to take on that responsibility. It was that I literally couldn't read a menu and tell you if I wanted to eat at that restaurant or not. Hmm. I was so far removed from understanding myself in any way that I didn't even know what foods I liked. Yeah. It sounds like you just kind of gave yourself permission to take the time to get to know yourself. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I really did. I really did. It was like small things and little things, you know? Yeah. I mean, small things and big things. So getting to know my favorite color, getting to know the things that I really enjoyed, things that I like, going back to things that I'd done in like high school and college. Mm-hmm. And then also exercise was such a huge one going back to the gym because no one was telling me that what I was doing or that I needed to be doing it because then I would be acceptable. Yeah. You know, parents wise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then so like, how, I'm curious about the remarriage and, you know, him getting remarried. And I'm sure that, cause I know you said that he had a relationship like right before he even got married. So like when, I guess the question is like, when he started dating again, did you feel mm. like, where were you in all of that? <laughs> God, it's an, it's been an amazing process. And here's what I'll say. What I'll say is that the first thing that happened when I got out of my marriage was I couldn't have been more excited. I felt 
so free. I was so happy. People would come over to my house and say, oh my God, because I moved out. And they would say, the energy here is like explosive. There was just this palpable excitement to my life that I was no longer sort of under the thumb of the oppressive marriage. I don't want to just blame it all on him. I was, this is who I was as well. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to, I take full responsibility. It was a bad combination of people. And Talk about people sort of being with someone who brings out the best in you. And he brought out the worst in me and I brought out the worst in him. And so in the beginning, it was just so exciting and all of this. And he got a serious girlfriend pretty soon after because he's the kind of guy that likes to be partnered. Mm -hmm. I first was like, I don't want to, you know, like it was weird. It was, I don't want to say painful, but... And then eventually my son said like, mommy, I want you to meet Sarah. You know, my, he would come home and be like, Sarah made me a treasure hunt and Sarah did this and Sarah and daddy and I did this. Mm. And I'd be like, Ugh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the one hand, like, you know, I'm so glad Sarah does treasure hunts. Cause like, you know, I don't do treasure hunts or whatever, but that was when it started to hurt just a little. Mm -hmm. And part of what hurt was that he was nicer to her than he ever was uh, to me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, really? And then I met her and she was so lovely. And then... Which probably in a little tiny way made it worse. <laughs> well, she was... Well, here's the thing. She was younger and she was skinnier. She oh, was like... Shit. She was like two-dimensional. She was so skinny. She was young and she's beautiful. She's like a model. She, I mean, she literally is. She like... She's... And, and, and so hunts. sweet, right? And on the one hand, I was like, uh, gross. And on the other hand, I was like, well, this is great for my son. This is great for my child, you know? So you were able to turn the focus and make it more about your son than about you. Some days. Some days. <laughs> one day at a time. <laughs> Sometimes. In my, in my best moments, I was totally able to do that. No, I really was. I really was, ultimately, you know, but, but without, you know... I would be lying if I said that sometimes it didn't sting. Yeah. I know. I use that word a lot in my own story too, which everybody already heard is that it's not that it hurts, but sometimes like when I think about what happened, it still stings. And those are two different things. Yes. Yes, exactly. And then, you know, here's the other thing about my divorce, which is very unique, which is that my ex and I spent years and years and years in couples therapy together. We tried so hard to make our marriage work and it was literally unworkable. And so by the time we decided to get divorced, we were going to make this the best divorce in history. We were going to do it so well because we worked so hard to make our marriage work. By God, we were going to make the divorce work. Mm -hmm. And so we did. And we, you know, continued to have holidays together in the beginning, which meant that I had to host his girlfriends for holidays mm. at my house. And for a couple of years, I did this because it seemed like the best thing to do for our child. Mm -hmm. And I think it was. I think ultimately he was, you know, it made the transition a little easier for him. A couple of times it was confusing. He was like, I don't understand. Like, if we're still doing this together, why can't we just do everything okay, together? Just live together, yeah. Yeah. First Thanksgiving was truly, truly difficult. It was me and my mom and my ex and Emmett, and there was nobody else. So it was, okay. it was weird. And we were having a great time. We were joking around and we were being like the best of us. And Emmett was like, well, then if we're getting along, let's like, let's get back mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And then we had to explain that the reason we were getting along was because we weren't together. And, but it was confusing. So the next couple of holidays, we kind of buffered it with other people. 
And on the one hand, it was great. And on the other, I started to feel like I was doing nothing but spending my life supporting my ex and his new relationships. Romances. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, basically, I really was. And because I didn't have another relationship and because I wasn't diving into these sort of like intense relationships where we were sharing, you know, holidays and all of that, I was like the odd man out at my own house mm-hmm. and my own Thanksgivings. And so it was, it was hard. And I eventually drew a line and I was like, cause we did this for years for like three or four years for Christmas, Thanksgiving and Halloween. And I just got over it. You know, eventually I got over it. Well, let me ask you. So when you, cause you were mentioning that you would like that example that you gave about the Thanksgiving that you spent together and you were getting along. Did you ever have moments when you were divorced and not living together where you kind of were getting along or maybe he would bring up like an old joke that you had and you would, did you ever have those moments where you're like, well, mm-hmm. maybe he's not so bad. Maybe we could make it work. You know, Andrea, the truth is I still have them and I yeah. actually have them more now. That's sort of what I was getting at. Like in the beginning, it was this relief. It was joyous. It was exciting. It was like a whole new world. And the more time that goes by, and I'm seven years out, the more time that goes by, the larger the waves of grief can be. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. And I think part of it is because he is married now and I and I have lost a part of him a huge part of him, but we still have our connections. Right. Right. And there are times when we're hanging out and we're doing stuff as a family and, you know, it's school stuff or whatever. And we do, we, and in the beginning it would happen all the time and we would go, wait, what are we doing? And then we'd go, no, you know exactly what we're doing. Let's just, let's not derail this. Like we know what we're doing. And as time has gone by knowing full well with every rational fiber of my being that this man is not for me. And I don't actually want to be married to him anymore. There are moments when I see him and I think, really, really, or just something happens and it'll spark this grief, like real Uh deep grief that continues to wave through me. And sometimes they're, I feel like at this point, they're bigger waves that are way more spread apart. Okay. I want to talk about the grief in a second, but I wanted just to touch on something that you said and I'm, I'm reaching for my book, Brene's Rising Strong. And what I love about this book that I have never heard in self-help talked about or written about is the feeling of nostalgia and how much that can just wreck you. And I feel that way. This might, this is maybe like a bad example or, you know, relating to it, but I feel that way about my hometown of San Diego. And (laughs) you totally do. Like my heart breaks that I don't live there anymore. And then I go back for, you know, days at a time and then remember why we broke up and like why we're not together. But I think it can be a lot of the same in relationships. And so, you know, you get hit with these bits of nostalgia Mm. and they just take you down. And so my question is, you mentioned you have these big waves of grief. So what are you doing now to process the grief? Because I know you and I have had conversations about our old patterns of numbing and things like that. And I know you don't do that anymore. Yeah. And so what do you do when those grief waves come over? You know, the biggest thing I do now is feel them. Honestly. I mean, I just, I've learned over the years cause you know, numbing doesn't work and distraction doesn't work. And you know, did you used to judge them when you, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh God. Yeah. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? You know, you know, mm-hmm. so, and, and I still do sometimes like it comes up. I'm like, really? <laughs> you over this thing now. 
Oh, right. Totally. Right. Seven years. Really? But, and, and also there's shame and embarrassment about it. Mm. Like I sh- I'm not supposed to be feeling this. I'm not supposed to feel nostalgia or grief or here's the thing. When you get divorced from someone you don't have kids with, you get to just walk away mm-hmm. and you might have nostalgia and you might have grief, whatever, but you don't have a constant reminder. It's not all mm-hmm. right. And you know, I didn't get the opportunity to go away into like, you know, a meditation retreat for six months to heal my broken heart. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you didn't go I to did... Bali and meditate with the monks. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't get to eat prayer and love, you know, I literally just had to, you know, love you, Liz Gilbert. I didn't get that. What I had to do was see my ex almost every day, mm-hmm. like almost every day. So now when I get hit with those waves, I sit with them, you know, and I'll cry. I'll cry. Mm -hmm. I'll let myself cry. It's okay. And they don't take me down. Here's the thing. Feelings, right? They're not, they don't take me down anymore. I have feelings. I am not my feelings. I am not overtaken by them and like dragged through some sort of cathartic. It's like, you know, I have a feeling. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a big feeling and it's just a feeling and I allow it. And then I move through it. I love that. And, you know, it's like an old saying, the only way out is through. And it is so cliche because it is so damn true about feelings. And I love talking about this and reminding myself about it and reminding my listeners about it because so many of us judge our feelings. And like you were saying, like, we're not supposed to feel this way. And then we feel like guilt and shame and confusion about our feelings that we're not actually feeling. And then we're numbing them out or just avoiding them altogether. And really you know, and I, I hesitate to say like, don't judge your feelings, just notice if you're doing it mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then just letting them come and cry in the shower if you need to. And even though it might not make any sense to you and it might be like, why am I still feeling this way? And then, and then it'll, it'll pass. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it really. And that's the thing, right? This too shall pass again, another cliche, mm-hmm. but it really does. And, you know, my experience, both personal and professional is that it only passes when you allow it. Like you say, the only way over is through. And the more I try to stuff it, the more I tried to drink it away or eat it away or distract it away or shop it away, the more it would just be waiting for me when I got home in a bigger, meaner, nastier form. Then you're offloading it on other people that don't deserve it. What I want to remind the listeners of, which I've talked about before, is watch out where you make it mean something. Because Mm -hmm. there was like one of those cheesy Instagram quotes that I loved. And it said something about like, you're allowed to miss people that you don't want in your life anymore. Yeah. And when I read that, I was like, wow. Cause I used to judge a lot. Like when my ex would show up in my dreams or, you know, he would like randomly, we have a 91 mutual friends. So every once in a great while, his face pops up in my newsfeed, even though we're not friends on Facebook. Right. And sometimes I'll have like a, whoa, like a visceral reaction. To it, and then I'm like, what does that mean? You know, and it doesn't mean jack shit. Except that I spent 13 and a half years with them. And when you have an intimate bond with someone, whether you were married or just in a long-term relationship, it means a lot. And your body still knows. And if you just Mm -hmm. allow to feel whatever it is without making it mean anything at all, it will pass. And it always does for me. It always does. It really does. It's magic. <laughs> it's a not so can't have a magic. podcast episode without saying it's magic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I have one more question for you, and that is on the topic of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that your ex did anything like horrible or you know that made the conclusion of your marriage. It sounded like it was kind of like a long time coming. But have you had to deal with forgiveness in your former marriage, and what does it look like? 
Oh, so deeply, so deeply. And on both sides. So I had to deal with, so, I mean, I'm not saying anything that he wouldn't agree with. You know, he said these words to me. He's, I was a husband to you Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry. And, you know, I had to forgive. Forgiveness for me is a process of taking my own inventory. For me, forgiveness is about looking at the kind of person that I was that allowed anything to happen to me. I'm a, I'm a strong believer in 100% responsibility. I don't believe things are 50-50. I believe they are 100%, 100%. Each person takes 100% responsibility for their side. And, and even if the other person doesn't, that's where forgiveness lies. It doesn't lie necessarily, in my experience, in the other person taking responsibility. It lies in me. Forgiveness is all about, and you hear this all the time, right? Forgiveness is not about the other person. It's about you. But where I believe the key to it is in responsibility. My ex did not treat me well. He just didn't. But I was the kind of woman who sought that out because it mirrored and reflected the way that I was raised and the messages that I received in my childhood in all sorts of ways. And so that's where my forgiveness came from. My forgiveness for him came in understanding that I would not have been in that relationship had I not been primed for it. And basically like, like a compass, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. my true North was driving me in the direction of this kind of relationship. And had I done the work that, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, that was the beginning of forgiveness for me. And then, yeah, he and I had to have some hard talks. He and I had to have some conversations where I was like, you know, this really hurt me. And because he's the kind of person who also has done a lot of personal development work and takes a lot of responsibility and believes in this stuff, he was able to say like, you're right. I am so sorry. And then I was able to, you know, hear where he was where I did things that devastated him. And mm-hmm. I did post-divorce. Mm-hmm. One thing in particular that devastated him. And, you know, I had to be completely and fully responsible for that. He was able to forgive me much sooner than his wife was. And she and I have now healed our relationship. And it's really kind of gorgeous. But it took a long time. And it took forgiveness on all sides. But the only thing I can be responsible for is myself. True story. Absolutely. And I love that you talked about self-forgiveness and forgiving him too. And I just wanted to touch on that for a second, because I think that, I think that your ex might be in the minority as far as men that are really into personal development and own and take responsibility for their mistakes. And I Mm -hmm. think that I just want to point out that you can still work on forgiving someone. I'm intentional about using the words work on forgiving someone because I don't think it's just a a switch that you flip. Right. You can work on forgiving someone even when they don't ask for it, even when they don't apologize, they might Mm -hmm. still be a jerk to you. I know that a lot of people that are listening probably are struggling with an ex that they still have to see because they have children together and the the ex continues to be an And I think that What might be helpful in those situations for anyone listening is to try and remember that as hard as it is, that if you come from a place of just assuming you you may be wrong, but just assuming that they're doing the best that they can, because they very Mm -hmm. well might not have the tools to act to behave any other way, right? To have, to try to have compassion for them. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, it's really too bad that they can't see the light and kind of wake up and try to be a a better person. And we can only control, you know, how we show up in situations. We sure can't control them. And that's hard. 
here's the thing that I'll say about that as well, you know, is that I can be happy. And this is God, it took me decades, right? To get this. And it's really, it's a tough one, but I can be happy no matter how other people around me are treating me or being mm-hmm. that my happiness does not have to be dependent upon or my peace, right? Doesn't have to be dependent upon how someone else happens to be treating me in one day or another. Yeah. Because my God, that can change from minute to minute, right? And we'll be like flip-flopping and like get whip emotional whiplash if our peace is dependent upon anyone outside of ourselves. That's not to say that someone can't really make our day like a living Mm-hmm. Or, or make the, it amazing on the other or side. Or make it amazing. Right. Exactly. You know, but at the same time, that doesn't define who I am or, or, or my self-worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big lesson. <laughs> and it did. One oh my God. And for time. years it did. I yeah. mean, my ex-husband defined my self-worth for so 10 years. And so before mine. him, it was ever guy I happened to be dating or seeing, or if mm-hmm. I was or wasn't like, it was literally that determined everything. Yeah. Yeah. We could have a whole nother, we could do a whole whole podcast on that. (laughs) I know. And I've already gone longer than I originally wanted to. So thanks for sticking with us, everyone who's listening. And I just, I really wanted to get your take on things. And this has been so insightful and helpful, Kate. So thank you so much for being here and tell everybody where they can go and find out more about you. KateAnthony.com. Easy peasy. my website. Easy peasy. Kate.com. And I will have you on again where we can do like a full, full on interview. Woo, love it. Kids. Yay. So that's your favorite topic. Knocking up your kids. That is yes. my favorite topic. All right. We'll have you on later in the year and ask kickers. Thank you so much for sticking with us. And until next time, I will see you out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. Bye.